Good morning, family. We're continuing on through our uh, scripture reading, and so today we are reading through 1 Peter chapter 2. So if you want to turn with me in your Bibles, you may. I do believe that uh, the words will be up on the screen as well. Chapter 2, verse 1, 1 Peter. It says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of, his dark, out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governor as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you are beaten... If you, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls." All right, everybody. Praise the Lord. It's good to be together on the Lord's Day yet again to sing, to worship, to study, to fellowship. How sweet it is. Amen? Amen, amen. Well, I have one announcement to make. Probably there are others that I'm forgetting, but uh, one that's time-sensitive. We're going to have another outreach in the park. That'll be in May. It's going to be the first Saturday so as if I'm seeing this correctly, that is the 6th, and so May 6th, there will be more details to come, not sure exactly which part just yet, but we did this um, already once, 
And it was a very sweet time, very sweet time. And so we want to encourage you guys to come out, fellowship with us in that. We'd love to see an even bigger crowd from our church come. If you're totally intimidated or scared, you can just come, hang out, pray uh, silently, worship with us. Um, and, you know, it's really just as simple as that. It doesn't have to be something that keeps you away for, for fear's sake or being intimidated. Uh, but then, of course, you can be as bold and crazy as you want to be. And so the, the possibilities are endless. So just want all of us to come. If, if for nothing else, it's sweet to gather as the body of Christ in a place, in a, in a park out in the open and to worship God because He's worthy of worship every single day. Amen? And so I uh, want to encourage you guys to come out and be a part of that. All right, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 15, verse 18. We're going to be looking at quite a bit of Scripture today. Um, I've gotten in the habit of teaching three or four verses at a time, and I said that would be typical in this particular portion of Scripture that we are in, um, but as we kind of start to move our way towards the end of this, uh, we will pick up the pace yet again, and so... Um, yeah, let me pray for us, and we will dig in. Father, we worship you in spirit and in truth, for you are seeking such, Lord. Thank you that you have made us acceptable through the sacrifice of your Son, and now you are well-pleased. You are well-pleased with our worship. And our hearts are yours, God. We desire to give you what you are worthy of. We desire to give you more than just words. We want to give you our hearts. We want to give you our minds. We want to give you our hands. And we want to bless you, Father. And we have also come here because we are needy. And we know that we need you. We need you. And God, in your goodness and in your graciousness... You have given yourself to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. You've given us your Holy Spirit. You have given us your Word, your inspired Word that strengthens us, sustains us, teaches us, guides us. And so we've come here today needing to learn of you, Father, needing to hear from you, needing to receive a word of encouragement or correction, guidance, wisdom, rebuke, whatever it is, Father, that we need most, your word is sufficient to minister to that need. And so we pray, God, that you would open our hearts, open our eyes to heavenly truth. Thank you for your word. We pray that you would be exalted here today and help me, your servant, God, to speak your words with accuracy, with fear, with love, with power. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Well, last Sunday we took a little detour for Resurrection Sunday. We were in Colossians, but now we're back in John. And a couple of weeks ago, I had said there's a little bit of a tone shift in our text because for some time we had just been receiving encouragement upon encouragement from our Lord Jesus. Words of hope. Because in chapter 13... Jesus had already told the disciples what was about to happen that very night in the coming days, and it was not good. Jesus told them that he was going to be betrayed by one of them, that they were all going to scatter and leave him, and that Peter was going to deny even knowing him before the morning came. Where he was going, they could not come, and so the disciples were altogether perplexed. And so as Jesus begins to speak as we moved into chapter 14, verse 1, he said, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And so Jesus began to counteract their, um, what's the word, their perplexity. As he began to counteract that with encouragement, uh, he began to just give so many wonderful promises of which we have spent quite a bit of time considering. But now Jesus returns back to warnings, back to warnings. What's going to take place after he goes back to be with the Father in glory? And so Jesus tells them that just as the world hated him, 
the world will most certainly hate them too. Just because Jesus is gone doesn't mean that the hatred for Jesus would altogether disappear. It would very much remain, but now it would be pointed directly at those who have named the name of Christ. And so this is a word of warning to the disciples and to us to be sure, but it is at the same time simultaneously words of hope. And we'll see that. And they're kind of intermixed together. Jesus kind of goes back and forth from warning to hope, warning to hope. And so I've titled this message, Hated by the World, but Helped by God. Hated by the world, but helped by God. Now, listen, I know that's intense, and this is heavy, and uh, I I would love to be able to just get up here every single week and hit you guys with uh, just the lighthearted, joyful, blessed stuff. But if we're going to be true to the Scripture, and if we're going to stick to the Scripture and work our way through these books verse by verse then we're going to run into passages that are very heavy and intense. And that's good for us, right? That's good for us. We need this. Jesus certainly felt like the disciples needed it. We know they did. And Jesus knows that we need it, and we certainly do. Just as this was very relevant to the disciples, it continues to be relevant for us today. And so I trust that we will indeed receive a blessing as we heed this very serious warning passage, but at the same time covered in God's grace and comfort. So with that, let's begin to look in chapter 15 at verses 18 and 19. There's really two main points in this passage, and the first one is, don't just expect opposition, embrace opposition. Don't just expect it, embrace it. Verse 18, it says, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Verse 20, Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. So last time we were together, we looked at these verses. I did a very in-depth study at just the first three verses, and we talked about the world. Jesus said that the world hated him and that the world is going to hate us. And we talked about what the world is, because there's a sense in which, you know, the Bible says God loves the world and And so, but we're told at the same time not to love the world. So I said, what's up with that? And so God loves the people of the world. God loves his creation. We are created in the image of God, yet we are fallen and we are a shattered reflection of God's image. So God has love for humanity, right? But at the same time, there is this fallen, corrupt world system that controls this world. And its leader, its ruler is Satan. And this is a system of values or beliefs or principles that has poised itself against God and has flipped what is good and right, and it calls that wrong, and what, according to God, is evil, it has made that good and right. That is the world system. That is the corrupt world system in which we live, which is why we say we're not of this world. Now, we were of this world. We were in this world. We were of this world. This world was our home. But Jesus says, I have chosen you out of the world. If not for God's grace, we would still be in the world. We would still belong to the world. We would still love the world. We would still be loved by the world, just as Jesus said here. If not for God's mercy and grace, because I don't know about you, I loved the world. In fact, my flesh still loves the world too much. And I was very content to do my thing in the world. But God sought me. When I was dead in my trespass and sin, God loved me in Christ. And God drew me with cords of loving kindness. And God saved me. God redeemed me. God gave me a brand new heart with new desires. He gave me a new affection and new loyalties. And so this world is no longer my home. It's not your home. We are pilgrims here. Our citizenship is in heaven. God is our Father. Christ is our Lord. 
and His Word is truth, and we are members of that kingdom. Amen? Can I get an amen and a hallelujah? Thank you, Jesus. But Jesus said, no, therefore, you will be hated. It will come at a cost to you, because when you're in the world, you're loved by the world. The world has no issue with you, and that's so true spiritually speaking. When we were in the world and we were living for ourselves with no care for God or the things of God, Satan didn't care about us. We were no threat to him. But now that we are in the Spirit, alive in Christ, being used by God for the kingdom of God, we have a very real enemy, Satan, the enemy of our souls. And he hates us too. He hates us too. And so we have to recognize and expect opposition. And so last time... The message was titled, Expect Opposition, Resist Worldliness, and Get Uncomfortable. We've got to expect opposition. We can't be surprised by it. We can't be shocked or thrown off by this. We have to realize that this is what we signed up for. A lot of people don't know that's what they signed up for, but they figure it out pretty quick. And so that's what we signed up for, knowing that we live in this world that is working overtime to conform us into its image, to shape us into the likeness of the cultural norms around us. And nowadays it has gotten so aggressive and militant, it's not enough to just be in the world and let the world be. The world says you must be what the world says. You must accept and embrace and celebrate what the world says. Otherwise, you're you're poison, you're toxic. And so it's getting more aggressive. It's becoming more difficult. The pressure is being ramped up. But Jesus said, you ought to expect this. He said, a servant is not greater than his master. If the world hated Jesus, our Lord, the one whom we claim to follow, then we must expect that the same will happen to us. And we must resist worldliness. We have to fight against that. We've got to fight against it. And then lastly, I said, we've got to get uncomfortable. We are far too uh, used to living lives of comfort. That's what we strive for. We seek after that. We want to live with comfort and security and luxury and peace. And look, those aren't bad things. And hey, I desire those things. Who does? I don't desire the opposite. You know, I don't. But if those if that's all that we're living for and we're building that kingdom to the exclusion of God's kingdom, then there's a problem. We are being conformed into the world, the image of the world, and we're forgetting about the kingdom that we actually belong to, the kingdom of which we are truly citizens. And so Jesus says, expect this, it's coming, but don't just expect it, embrace it embrace it. Recognize this is your identity. You are in me and you are opposed by the world. Now verse 21, it says, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. And so we need not take it personal, brothers and sisters. They're really not attacking us. Paul makes this really interesting statement in Colossians chapter 1, in the end of the chapter. He said, he is fulfilling in his flesh that which was lacking in Christ's suffering. And it's like, what does that mean? It kind of sounds like what he's saying is is that Christ's death wasn't sufficient, so he's going to make up for what Jesus didn't complete, right? That would be totally insane. So what is he saying? It appears what he's saying is is that just because Jesus is dead doesn't mean that hostility towards Jesus has ceased. So now we are the recipients of that hostility. That hostility that remains in the world, we are now suffering in the flesh, just as Christ suffered in the flesh. But Paul knew that it wasn't him. It wasn't him that this hostility was ultimately against. It was against Jesus. And so we... We bear the name of Christ. We are the aroma of Christ, Paul says, to a world that is dying. People hate Jesus. They hate Jesus. We know this. I talked about this last time we we met together. Uh, You know, the reality is we live in a world that doesn't want to hear anything about God. They don't want to hear about Jesus. 
They reject all of that. Romans 1 said that's, that's what's in the heart of man. We take what is revealed to us about God and we stuff that down. We suppress it. The law is written on our consciences. We know that there is some absolute truth that is transcendent beyond the world that we live. The Bible says that eternity is in the heart of man. We know that there is more to life than just this. Yet, we don't want to be accountable to a creator. We want to live the way we want to live. So what do we do? We suppress that truth, that revelation. We look at the world around us, the creation, and see the fingerprints of God in that. And what do we do? We reject that because ultimately we want to worship ourselves and we want to worship other things, less things, based things, base things. So people, they don't want to hear any of this. They hate Jesus. They hate God. And that's the issue. They have a Jesus problem. They have a God problem. Now, people love God, but it's typically the God of their own creation. People tend to create a God that looks an awful lot like them. God responds. God judges. God does everything in accordance with the way they believe God ought to. And so that's idolatry and nothing less. And why do they do that? Jesus said because they reject the Father. They don't know Him. They reject the Son. They hate you. They hate me. Now, verse 22, He says, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my Father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. So Jesus said if He had not come and done the works that He did, and if He had not come and spoken the truths that He spoke, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, this doesn't mean they would be sinless. There is no such thing. Everyone in this world is, is, you know, fallen, and we have broken God's law, and we're all guilty sinners. But he's talking about rejection of Him. Jesus came and proved undeniably that He is God's Son. He is the Son of the Father, heaven-sent, eternal, good, and there was no denying it. Many people confessed that. Nicodemus himself said, nobody could do the things that you do if he had not come from God. The things that Jesus spoke, people said, no one has ever spoken like this before. His words are too wonderful. People saw that no one had ever opened the eyes of someone who had been born blind. There was no one like this Jesus. It was undeniable. And Jesus said that they are guilty of their rejection against me because of all that they have seen and heard. So they are without guilt. And as a result, they have hated not only me, but the one who sent me, my Father. And so the world has a God problem. The world has a Jesus problem. The world has a sin problem. A sin problem. The world insists on rejecting God, the revelation of God, Jesus being the perfect revelation of the Father, special revelation, and they are guilty of their sin. And that's why they hate. That's why they hate. And that's why they hate us. Now, they may not say that. They may not even know that. But deep down, that's what it amounts to. Now, Jesus says, I would say, that we are not to just embrace opposition, we're to engage opposition. That sounds fun, doesn't it? We don't just expect it, we don't just own it, we don't just embrace it, but we are called to engage opposition. And how boldly and resolutely, look, brothers and sisters, we need to just own the fact that we are going to be hated in this world. If we're not hated, something is not right. Jesus said that they persecuted Him. They're going to persecute us. Now, let me just pause for a moment before we move any further. We live in a unique time and place in the world, in the United States of America. We are relatively free. In fact, we have, we're quite free. 
to worship God and to worship Jesus openly, but throughout much of the world, that is simply not the case. And we know this, and I've talked about these things uh, in generalities before, but there is more persecution going on now. In the last, in the last uh, century, there was more persecution than in all other previous centuries since Christ combined. Combined. In the 20th century, more persecution against Christians than any other time combined. We have so many brothers and sisters right now that are being murdered for their faith. I think it was like 5,500 were murdered last year because of their testimony. But that, that is a small number compared to the amount that are under severe persecution. I think it's something like uh, a little over maybe 250 million Christians right now are living in a place where they are under intense and severe persecution. There's a website. It's called opendoorus.com. I would encourage you to look that up. And there are all of these statistics that they're actively following and all of these stories that they are uh, shining the light on regarding our persecuted brothers and sisters. And so this little pocket of the world that we're in, what we are experiencing, this is not normal. It never has been normal. It's not normal around much of the world, and probably one day it won't be here either. And so, you know, there are a lot of people around the world, when they read these verses, they know exactly what Jesus is talking about. They know exactly what Jesus is talking about. I heard a pastor last week, he was telling this story. He, had, uh, he said there was a, some, a young lady somewhere that, uh, in, a, in a place that's like a, a closed-off country, and she was on some sort of a group chat, and she passed her test and said, thank you, Jesus, for helping me pass my test. And she got strangled, stoned, and then burned alive. So they must have choked her and not killed her and then hit her with rocks and then for saying, thank you, Jesus, for helping me pass my test. That was it. And that is the way that it is for so many of our brothers and sisters around the world. Kidnapped, tortured, Families taken from, taken from them, imprisoned, killed. That is the reality. They understand this severity. They understand this warning well. Now, I praise God that we live in a place where we don't have to go through that. And I think that our brothers and sisters around the world would give anything to have what we have. But at the same time, I would say to you that because we don't, I think the church is anemic. I think we're sick because we're comfortable because it doesn't cost us anything to serve the Lord. We kind of look at Jesus as, this is going to improve my life. I'm going to name the name of Christ, and God, I will now have God's blessing, and I can expect my lot in life to actually improve. Jesus is a good accessory to our lives. But that is just not the way the Bible presents it. Jesus says, actually, if you believe in me, you're going to be hated, and you're going to suffer, and you're going to be persecuted. And so I think that in some ways the church, because we have the freedoms that we have, we've gotten weak. And I do believe that in time, and I don't wish this upon our country, but I do believe in time the pressures will grow more and more. And I believe that in some way God has already handed over our country, giving it over to its desires and to uh, its, its worldly pleasures, pursuits, and moral uh, so-called morality and I think that as that happens increasingly, we will get more and more pressure and hatred and hostility because we'll be seen as the rebels. And I do think that if and when that happens, we're going to see a purification of the church because a lot of people aren't going to stick around. And I think we'll see, I think we'll see all kinds of things happen, and I think the church will be strengthened. You know, in Countries where there is such hostility and persecution, the church is unstoppable. They can't stop the church from growing. They can't stop the church from growing, which is part of the testimony when people are willing to pay a price for what they believe because they believe that Christ is real, that He is their Savior, that He died and rose again, and that they will be with Him in glory. And for many of our brothers and sisters... Life on this side of glory will never be good. Their only hope is heaven. That's all they've got. See, for us, we like it down here, don't we? We kind of want to stick around for a while. 
There are a lot of things that I hope to accomplish and do in this life, and there are a lot of things that I enjoy. And, and so I'm not, hey, Jesus, maybe don't come back just yet, right? But for a lot of our brothers and sisters around the world, they've got none of that. The only hope that they have is Christ, their Redeemer, their Savior, the lover of their souls. The only hope that they have is to be with Him in glory. They don't love the world. They have no love for the world. We're comfortable. We love the world and all its trappings. We're enticed and lured away by all of the shiny things that compete for our affection and our devotion. Well, may it not be. We need to embrace... We need to embrace who we are. We're servants of Christ. We're not of this world. And we need to engage. And we need to do it boldly and resolutely. And the good news is we've not been left alone. And this is where the comfort comes in. We've not been left alone to do this. God gives us help. So we are hated by the world, but we are helped by God. Amen? Look at verse 26. It says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with Me from the beginning. So we have the promise of the Helper, the Holy Spirit of God. Now this is an interesting word, the word Helper. There's not really a great English equivalent for it. So you'll notice in different translations of the Bible, there are, it could be Advocate, it could be Counselor, it could be Comforter. Is helper, and it's the idea of someone who comes alongside to assist, someone who comes alongside to help or to comfort or to console. So we have an advocate, we have the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom will be sent to us from the Father. He is the Spirit of truth. There are all kinds of spirits in the world, evil and wicked spirits. There is all kinds of deception in the world, but this is the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth. And He will bear witness to the truth because Jesus Christ is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we too will bear witness because we know the truth. Amen? We have believed the truth, we have been changed by the truth, and we are compelled to stand for the truth and to, to propagate the truth. We can do none else. We can do no other. We can do no other. And praise God, we have the Spirit of truth who will help us to do just that. Now, verse 1 in chapter 16, he said, I have said all these things to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. Now, I love, first off, Jesus says, I'm telling you these things before they happen so that when they happen, you won't be surprised and you won't stumble. Because the disciples, for three years, they're like, man, we are on the front line with King Jesus. He is going to rule and reign, and we are going to be right there with Him. And that is all that they were thinking about, focused on, waiting for. And now Jesus says, I'm leaving. You're all going to abandon me, and then you're going to suffer greatly after I'm gone. And it's like, what? What, did we, what were we with you for the last three years? What was that about? And Jesus says, I'm telling you this now so that you recognize this was all part of the plan, and you're not going to be left alone. You're going to have the helper who will be there with you. But recognize this, that the, the ferocity of the hatred that is going to come against you is such that people actually think that they are offering God's service when they kill you. Now, I wonder what was going through their minds when they heard that, when they kill you. Whoever kills you will think that he is offering service to God. Man, I can only imagine what they were thinking and feeling in that moment. Wait a second. Kill me? Service to God? And we know that was the case. We look at people like the Apostle Paul, Saul of... Tarsus, he was consenting to the death of Christians in zeal to God in his ignorance. And such was the case. There was so much persecution that the disciples underwent, and so often it was out of a zeal for the, the people's gods. And, 
Such is the case today. So much of the persecution, so much of the killing and the, the torture that goes on, people believe that they are honoring their God in doing this. It's crazy. It's amazing. But you know, even kind of in a, from a slightly different angle, people today here where we live who hate us and hate what we stand for, they may not believe in God or a God, but whatever it is, whatever it is that they are embracing, whatever ideology or, uh, that they are championing and trying to, to push, they are convinced that that is the truth and that they serve a higher purpose and that coming against you and hating you and trying to shut you up or take you out is in service to this higher good that they are serving. And so, in a sense, we undergo that too. It's a matter of an agenda that is being pushed, and it's militant. And those who hate God and want nothing to do with Him hate us too. And so we're feeling more and more of that pressure even now. And it's going to get worse. It's going to get far worse. But you know what? When that happens, the light of the gospel shines more brightly. It shines more brightly. And so praise God. We don't just accept opposition. We don't just expect it or embrace it, but we can engage it by the power of the Holy Spirit and be used, be used by God. Now it says in verse 3, And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. So Jesus had sheltered the disciples. He said, I didn't say these things to you at first, but now I'm telling you. And we understand this. We shelter our children, and as they get older, you know, we begin to allow them to, to know a little more, a little more about the world in which we live as their minds, as they mature, and they're able to, to handle these things. But then there will come a day when we have to just, they're going to come face to face with the fullness of what this world is. And then they're going to have to go out and walk it alone, essentially. Obviously, we love them and we're there to support them. But they're going to have to grow up, and they're going to have to learn to navigate this world. And I, that's really the sense here. Jesus said, I was with you. There was only so much that you could bear at the time, but now's the time. Now you are going out, you're, and I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. But you're not going alone. You will have the Helper, the Holy Spirit, who will strengthen you. He will give you perseverance. Persecution comes from the world, but perseverance comes from God. Amen? There will be persecution, but it will be met with perseverance. We will endure to the end. We can do no other. God help us. Verse 5. He says, But now I am going to Him who sent me. And none of you asked me, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus says, none of you asked me where I'm going. Now, that's not exactly correct. They have already asked Jesus where he is going, but the question, I think what he's getting at here is the heart of the question has shifted. It was originally, Jesus, where are you going? But now it's like, well, what about us? What are we going to do? What's going to happen to us when you're gone? Because Jesus says, sorrow has filled your hearts because you're concerned about what's going to happen to you. But he says, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. You see, so Jesus kind of connects that dot. You're not worried about me, you're worried about you. But I tell you what, it's good for you. It's to your advantage that I go away. Now, why would that be? Why would it be to their advantage? He says, because when he goes, he will send the helper. When Jesus was walking the earth with his disciples here, Jesus was in their midst, he was in their presence, he was serving them, protecting them, teaching them. 
But Jesus was going to go, and the Holy Spirit of God would come, and then we would all, believers in Christ, receive the Holy Spirit and have Christ in us always, always. We would have the very presence and power of Christ dwelling in us as sent ones of God. And he said, that's much better. It will be much better for you. And see, this was part of what Christ won for us at the cross. There are so many things that have been purchased, so many, so many blessings and privileges that are ours because of what Christ accomplished at the cross. See, we were enemies of God, the Bible says. We were separated from God in our sin, hostile towards Him. But Christ came and took our place. The punishment that was due us, we all were under God's just wrath, the Bible says. That is the problem that faces all of humanity. We are all born into this world as sinners, and that's why we sin, because it's who we are to the core, to the core. But God in love, God in love, gave of Himself. He gave sacrificially. He gave His Son who would take our penalty upon Himself instead of us, satisfying God's righteous wrath, and then we would receive Christ's righteousness as a gift. And then God will be our Father, and we will be alive in Christ. And what has been secured for us is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit could not reside within an unregenerate pagan like me a God-hater. But when my sins were dealt with at the cross, and when I believed Christ by faith, my sins were washed away forever. God could look at me and say, justified, holy, righteous, because He looked upon the finished work of Christ in my place. And that is a vessel in which the Holy Spirit is pleased to dwell And that is something that was purchased for us by the death of Jesus Christ. That is the good news of the gospel, my brothers and sisters. And if you don't know Christ, you must. If you haven't received His forgiveness, you must call upon the name of the Lord, for today is the day of salvation. Amen? Receive His forgiveness. Receive His love. Receive the Holy Spirit. You need help. We need help. We need all that God has for us and nothing less will do. You feel me? Amen? Amen. I need all that God has for me and nothing less will do. And so we have a helper. We have the Holy Spirit. Christ accomplished that for us. So when He went and when He was glorified and when He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, the Holy Spirit came to us. The Holy Spirit came to us. Now verse 8 He says, and when He comes, that is the Holy Spirit, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in Me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see Me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, the word convict here, Um, we tend to understand this as a convicted criminal, right? That's the sense in which we usually use this word. Christians will use it in a different sense, but maybe that might be foreign. What we mean by that is, is convince. That's the idea of convict. We are convinced, pierced in the heart, pierced of the truth, the, the weightiness of the reality of God and our, our sin against Him. We come under immense conviction. That's, that's the idea. And so we're told here that the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world, convince the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The sin of having rejected God's revelation, having rejected God's sent one, rejected God's truth. The world will be convinced of the righteousness of Christ, He will be vindicated as the one who died and rose again and ascended to the right hand of the Father. He is truly righteous, and we are not. We're sinners who have rejected God's goodness, and Christ is the righteous one, the holy one of God. 
And then he will convict the world of judgment. Why? Because the ruler is judged. Satan will be sifted, and he will be found wanting. He will be proven to be the liar and the fraud that he is, and that Christ is the truth. He's the the champion of God. Amen? Now, the world, the Holy Spirit is in the world, convincing and convicting the world of this through us. That's the idea here. That's the idea. We are the agents through which this happens. I'm not saying God can't do this, just turn on the light bulb for someone just out in the middle of nowhere, but generally, God is going to use us as His vessel, as His agent, as His spokesman, and He's going to use our, our words, our experiences as we testify to the truth of who Jesus is, and the Spirit will bring this conviction in the hearts of the unbelievers. That's how this works. God uses us, so we have to be willing to be used. So I want to encourage you guys, again, come out to the park with us. It's just a great way to get your feet wet. It's a great way to get started. It really is. But we've got to get out there. We've got to get out there. We have to start. If we're not doing that, then we are missing out on a huge slice of the pie of Christianity. If we are not being used by God to be witnesses in the world, then we are defective Christians. Because Look, I, I heard this. I won't be able to remember this perfectly. It was so good. In heaven, we are able, we will be able to worship God perfectly, purely, without any distraction, without any sin. So why aren't we there already? If God can get so much more glory and worship out of us in heaven right now than He can on earth, then why are we still here to make disciples? Because there are more that He intends to bring in. There are more who will stand before Him in glory and worship Him. But we've got to be willing to get out there and engage. We have to be willing to trust God by the power of the Holy Spirit to be the ones through whom the message and the conviction will come. Amen? Well, verse 12, he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus said, there's more to come. I have even more to tell you, but this is enough for now. Jesus didn't want to absolutely crush them. But he says when the spirit of truth comes, he's going to guide you into all truth. And we believe this in part to be uh, speaking of the scriptures that the apostles would write. The Holy Spirit would come and, and remind them of these things and give them further revelation. And they would pen the inspired, inerrant words of God that we are studying even now before us. But also with this is the, the reality that the Spirit is our teacher, the Spirit is our helper, the Spirit will convince us of these truths, He will bring these truths back to our, our minds when we need them, and He is going to empower us to make much of Jesus. Notice that. The mission of the Spirit is to point to Christ. To point to Christ. It's been said that the Holy Spirit is the shy member of the Trinity, because His objective is to always point to Christ, to take the things that are of Jesus and to declare them to us. And a lot of the church has really got this, there's a real imbalance. It's all about the Holy Spirit, always about the Holy Spirit. And, you know, there's also another extreme, opposite end, where it's, there's never the Holy Spirit. It's Father, Son, and Holy Bible, right? But... The reality is, the Spirit of God will come and make much of Jesus. And so that's our objective, to make much of Jesus by the power of the Spirit, through the Helper who is in us. As a church, we want to make much of Jesus. We want to declare His mighty works and deeds. That's why the songs that we sing, we really try to magnify and extol the person and the works of Jesus. That is evidence of the Holy Spirit working and moving. Amen? 
when we testify to the truth of Christ, when we glorify Him for who He is and what He has done, that is how we honor Christ. And that's our goal. That's our objective. So, we need to expect opposition, but more than expect it, we need to embrace it. But more than embrace it, we need to engage it. We need to do this boldly and resolutely. Jesus said that if you deny me before men, I will deny you. If you're ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of you. Those are heavy words. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why would we be ashamed of the gospel? Why are we embarrassed about the gospel? May it never be. For by it we've been saved. For by it we've been reconciled. We've been justified. We've been adopted. Amen? And so we've got a message, brothers and sisters. We've got a message in our hearts. And we've got a message that we've got to let the world know about. And we need to expect opposition. And that's okay. That's okay. But we have perseverance through Him. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we love You. We give You glory. You're worthy of praise. You are worthy of our lives. You are worthy even to die for. It's easy for me to say that as one who is uh, speaking from a place of great freedom and comfort. But the fact is, the truth is the truth. You are worthy of our lives and our deaths even. And I know that if we were called to such a thing that by your grace you would sustain us and give us the strength to glorify you even to that end. It's all you and none of us. We must decrease, you must increase. May the world see Christ in us. May Christ form our lives, our character. May He be the meditation of our minds and our hearts. And may He be the proclamation of our mouths. Use us, Jesus. Help us to be more mindful of our brothers and sisters all around the world who are suffering, even in this very moment. I pray for our brothers and sisters who are suffering right now in the worst ways. In the worst of ways, Father, even as we speak. Strengthen them. Give them your peace. Give them your resolve. Bless them. May they see you and hear you and sense you in a way that, that the rest of us don't. May you be what they need in this very moment. And may they glorify you even to death. And may they receive their heavenly reward. We praise you, Father, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he lift up your countenance and give you peace. Go in the strength and blessing of God this week, my brothers and sisters. God bless you. Amen.